Okay, hi everyone, and welcome back to This Brown Girl's Guide to Succeeding in Grad School. But um, okay, this is episode nine of season one. We are back at it. Um, I have been brewing over this episode for the last like two to three weeks, and so it's taken me some time to think about it. I am very excited to share some of those thoughts today. Uh, whenever I do these, I always, you know, preface with the fact that these are just kind of my versions and takes on grad school and as much as at this point if y'all have been following these episodes you probably know that and don't need to hear that again I think for me if anyone's just listening to this episode arbitrarily sort of important for me to just throw that out there that you know at the end of the day we want to do what works for us we want to think about all the feedback that we do get there are a lot of resources on graduate school and so um, I want to make sure I try to offer just my perspective and um you know, do what you will with it. So all of that said, we are going to move into a topic that I think is really important and ironically became quite pertinent to me uh, when I got asked to do this thing that I'm now going to talk about. So it's about giving talks in grad school. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And the reason this is important is because there are going to be many reasons slash opportunities that come up for you and I'll explain the difference between a reason that you have to give a talk and an opportunity to give a talk but basically there are many things that come up um, where your opportunities presented where it's like you can either give a talk to your lab or a talk in a conference or a talk in a seminar series or a departmental um, you know series or events or um, anything else even just workshops and um, speaker series there's like many ways to give a talk there's even online versions where maybe you're presenting a little snippet online or science communication has you giving a three minute talk on what do you do in your thesis so there's like you know clearly ample opportunity usually um there are many aspects to this conversation so i'll start with like the timeline the way that i sort of proceeded was i started my phd during the pandemic um, that put me in a situation where I could do a lot of online conferences and talks and the kind of person I am, I sort of dove right into it and I think I presented at probably like 20 plus conferences my first years and maybe like 10 or maybe like five to 10 my second year. Um, and I think that, you know, that's one way to do it is to sort of dive right in. In retrospect, hindsight 2020, I would actually say kind of the opposite. So here's my recommend recommendation on giving talks. Um, I'll kind of talk a little bit, I'll, <laughs> I'll kind of go through a little bit today on how to give a talk and why to give a talk, but I sort of want to start with this timeline, right? And so I think the timeline thing is more like spend the first two to three years of your PhD really sinking in what you're doing and, you know, why you're doing it. And I think I should have spent more time doing that. Um, I think I got a lot of good feedback and I had a lot of projects going in my first year. I published a first author peer-reviewed paper my first year, so I was talking about that one on several occasions. So it was very substantial, but I think I should have waited a little bit because one of the things that really develops in your PhD is your thinking process and more than the ability to showcase that you know your work, which is often very tempting in academia, um, it's actually... I believe way better to sit back in the beginning, really synthesize what you're doing and then come up, surface up in your you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth plus years and start to discuss that work in communities. 
the reason that you would give talks is for let's kind of go through those right so i'm going to pause that was the first segment is the timeline the next segment is sort of the reason to give a talk right why to give a talk um um and so i think one of the reasons to sort of give a talk in academia is if you are say giving seeking feedback so simply put if you're just seeking feedback about your project or your theme or your um the way you even strung together the talk itself or or whichever there's a reason to get to give a talk because you are always going to receive some form of feedback even in an audience that's just silent because you'll still be able to read them in some way or read the energy in the room to be able to improve your slides or your talk or your conversation or your story um for the future and this could be in the context of a seminar series or a lab meeting. So in my case, um, if I like I was asked to give a one hour talk last week to my lab and I am about to present at a data science summit in a couple of weeks. And so I gave that talk um, to my lab. And for me, it was I was sort of seeking feedback. So like, how are my slides? How is my flow? Does the content make sense? And a lot of people in my lab don't do what I do. In fact, nobody really does what I do. So it was a good chance for people who don't necessarily do what I do to um, pick apart my work and see if the way I'm communicating it makes sense. So that's sort of what I would say. Another reason to give a talk is sort of just for practice. Um, I think one of the things I did benefit from my first couple of years was becoming more comfortable doing something I'm quite uncomfortable with, which is speaking up and speaking up in a way where my science it will be taken seriously and people will question it or or use it and you know for their own work and so like i have to be um you know serious authentic thorough honest and and communicative in a meaningful way in order for that work to really carry its weight right and so that's why i believe that that can also be a very oppor uh, important opportunity now i brought up reason versus opportunity one of the, the traps I sort of fell into is this idea that I had to give um, a lot of talks. Um, and I think that um, it's important to give them when they help you and when they help the scientific community you're within. Uh, and because there's so many opportunities to give them that sometimes you could just kind of give the same one and not really improve or maybe you're not really, you know, done with the work yet and you're sort of just kind of giving it. So I think there are reasons like to not give a talk. Um, and I think the reasons to give a talk. I also think one of the reasons to not give a talk is when your bandwidth is stretched thin. So sometimes in my case, I'm asked to give a talk because the community I'm in wants to improve the culture of the community, wants like more people giving talks about their work or whatever. I think I have been put in situations where I was stretched really thin and then stretched thinner when asked and sort of like a obligatorily asked to give talks and I would push back on my former self now and say hey you know I'm not in a place to give this right now I'm just I don't have the bandwidth and so one of the things I'll also leave you with especially if you are a first generation graduate student or a minority historically minoritized um graduate student I think I it's important 
for me to voice right now that you absolutely can speak up about giving a talk. You do not have to say yes to every opportunity. And I encourage you to say yes if you believe it will benefit you, it will benefit the science, it will benefit the research, and it will benefit the community. And it can be just one of those reasons, not all of them, but just one of them, for instance, okay, this will benefit me, cool. Okay, this will benefit the scientific community, but it won't benefit me, so I'm not gonna give the talk, that's also cool. And I think that's really important. And I think often academia has a has a very, um, you know, um, yes man kind of approach to, yes, just take up everything. Um, I will push back on that here and say that don't take up everything. Um, take up what is essential, take up what is meaningful for you and your work and your mental health and um, you know your own thesis progress. Cool. So the final part of this, and again, I'm doing my best to try to keep these episodes to little snippets versus like going beyond 25 minutes or so, just to give y'all snippets of how I personally navigate um, grad school and what I think is important in within each of these themes. So the last segment of what I want to go into now, all right, sip of water, um, is how to give a talk. Often I think, you know, we, we get into like, okay, when and why and all these things, but it's like, um, in terms of giving a talk, like, what does that even mean? I've said the word probably 50 times in this episode so far. So what does that really mean, right? So how to give a talk. To me, a presentation, a talk, it's a story. And it's not a story that's only for your audience. It's for the science and it's for you. But it's also for your audience nonetheless. And it's important to sort of give them a background give them the narrative of why this is meaningful, tell them why it's important to care, or at least why you care, um, and tell them the broader context of the work. Where does it fit in the big scheme of things? And then to leave folks on a note that is either, you know, I think this is very personal, um, but to me, the t to me, excuse me, the tendency is for me to leave folks with a note of where the work is going or why it's important, or maybe there's a hopeful component of it, or maybe there's a, a limitation that really needs attention called to. So something important to leave the audience with. Before I start talks, I usually consider a few things and I kind of term this like, you know, my motivation, the motivation behind a talk. So for instance, when I was asked to give that talk last week to the lab, I was also in parallel asked to meld it with a lesson on machine learning, which is part of what I do. But frankly, I was a little confused on how to do that, right? How do you give a talk? How do you give a practice talk? What's called a practice talk in my case, where I'm giving a practice talk, you know, before I go give it to the conference in a couple of weeks. But then how do I also meld that with the request I was given, which was you have to sort of break down the machine learning and spend an hour doing it. So frankly, that was confusing for me. So I tried to back up and say, okay, what's the motiv motivation here? Why is this important? Um, in my case, I study seagrass wasting disease. So I look at a plant that grows all over the planet. Um, it's a fascinating marine plant, but it's one of the few flowering marine flowering plants in the world, which means it's basically behaves like a terrestrial plant, but in water. Um, it's also sometimes subdued in water and sometimes exposed to sun. So it's a very, um, you know, tough plant, resilient plant. 
And more than anything, there are implications for global climate change, anthropogenic stressors, global carbon storage, um, ocean acidification, and more. So there was a lot of cool context. There is a lot of cool context for me to work with, with my species. I also basically, in the broader context, the way that I contextualize it is that I study um, climate, I mean, sorry, coastal resilience. And so I look at the resilience of coasts and the health of coasts from this angle, right? So for me, it was like, why is this important? Um, and my lab is like the theme of my lab is biodiversity in the Anthropocene. So figuring out how this theme fits into that. Now, in the, in the case of the data science summit I'm about to go to, the environmental data science summit, I have to fit it in the broader context of basically climate change, et cetera, but also in the context of, of data, which is what I'm about to do and talk about how um, the work that I do fits. And I, I basically do a lot of drone based data acquisition, which means I have teams that fly drones and we use that data to um, basically build parts of my thesis are built off of that data. And so contextualizing it in the broader scheme of um, some of the data components and then also the you know technology components of the talk. So first part is, you know, why is this important? The second part is what do you hope to achieve? What do I hope to achieve? Do I want feedback on the flow of the talk? Do I want feedback on the broader context? Do I want feedback on the details and the figures and the tables and the X and Y axes of those? So it's like you have ample opportunity to ask your audience what you want from them before you start. And, and this is not always like in a conference, I wouldn't say, you know, start with, hi everyone, like this is my talk. And by the way, I've been looking for feedback on X, Y, and Z. But during a practice talk, I highly recommend that because a practice talk is where you want to sort of be okay being, for a lack of a better word, kind of demolished and like taken apart and dissected so that you can do that in the practice sphere, improve that talk for the final, you know, scene, right? So what do you hope to achieve? So before I start practice talks, I always say, okay, so, you know, this is my work, this is my team, and this is the kind of feedback I am looking for. So I'm looking for critiques on X, Y, or Z. Uh, feel free to interrupt me during the talk and point out things along the way, or feel free to, or you know what, I prefer nobody interrupts me during the talk. Please uh, save your questions till the end. So you are allowed to define what your goals and, and hopes are for spending that kind of time and energy giving that talk. The next thing I'd say is, you know, um, yeah, I would say like last point is just kind of, don't always, you don't have to even give an outline. If you're telling a story, um, you don't have to give an outline of like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna talk about this and this and this and this and this. I think an outline's helpful, but I think a story is, like, is even more powerful. The last thing I want to leave um, you all with for, for now on this topic is um, a lot of times if like if you just pause, right, and you think about the last time you went uh, to a talk, whether it was a faculty member or a peer of yours, a grad student, an undergrad, you know, giving a thesis kind of talk or whatever, what was, um, what did it feel like for you? You know, was it interesting? Was there a lot of text on the slides? Was it boring? How was their energy? Like, you know, so all of those things sort of matter. Like when I even do this episode, if I were to talk like this and I don't really know what my next sentence is and, you know, so you, 
at some point, you would sort of tune me out, right? I'm totally exaggerating, but also I have listened to many podcasters that talk like that. And maybe that works for some people, but I, I tune out, I get pretty tired. Like I don't know where they're going or how interested they are in what they're saying. So I think it's important to, you don't have to be extremely bubbly and sprightly, but to show the passion that you feel for the thing you are investing between two to seven years in, I think is really important. In addition, I think, you know, always go with images over text. A lot of times people just throw so much text onto their slides and that still seems to be a thing, especially with like faculty sometimes. I feel like there's just a lot more text than there is um, imaging. Um, in my case, one of the you know feedbacks I actually got was I had kind of too many just blatant images, uh, I mean, sorry, like core images versus guided, guided images or some text to go with that. So I kind of flipped it to the other spectrum, but use the slides if you create slides or visuals to guide you. Don't use them to like, they're not your script and they're also not just entertainment for the audience. Does that, so it's like both ways, they're not your script to read off of, with too much text on them. And they're not just an image to just entertain the audience and then you have a separate thing going on. They're supposed to be interlinked. And if you have, let's say you have three themes that you're gonna talk about today, show three different images and show them one at a time and say, I'm gonna talk about X and then Y and then Z, right? So you have a story, not a dry outline, not a script, and that's kind of how you wanna do it. So one of the other parts of this too, is when you give a talk, I will tell you now that you will have likely a lot less time than you think. And you're probably gonna wanna show everyone that you did a ton of work because guess what? You probably did. And so I feel like the tendency, at least for me, is to be like, look, I did all of this work to get here. So let me give you glimpses of that background so you know how much it took for me to get here wrong <laughs> don't i sound like dwight from the office but don't do that because the and there's rarely a thing i'll say don't to but like i it's always going to be tempting to show people how much you did but keep it simple and tell the critical pieces that they need that the audience needs in order to follow your work understand the main points understand the takeaways and understand why it's important because you know what even if they don't know the every single thing you did, even if they don't realize how much work it took, even if the at the end of the day, yours was the simplest talk given in that whole conference or whatever, what you said, the clarity of your theme, the clarity of your story will surpass the clarity of anyone else's who puts a lot of detail, but not context and story and key takeaways. And I, I definitely have learned that the hard way. Like I'm, I'm saying that as someone who has worked through that, as someone who has been severely tempted to show people, especially in the world of computational biology, there's so much computational work I do that I cannot show people, but I want them to know I worked really hard because I don't want them to demolish something that has taken me so long. But I think at the end of the day, I leave, I, I've left people confused because I'm trying to bring up so much into it. So definitely recommend keeping it simple and tell the critical pieces that the audience needs to follow your work and remember your work. Okay, and then finally, 
Oh, and one thing I actually want to point out, this is super minute, but it's also not minute. I maybe I should not say that, um, but it's something that people have told me multiple times and I kind of forget it. So I want to point this out, which is um, keep your slides and your colors on the slides. Um, acknowledge people who are colorblind. Um, and so try to use the non um, colorblind colors, um, which I believe there's like um, there's one tritonomaly i think it's like it's hard to tell the difference between blue and green and between yellow and red and then tritinopia i think you cannot tell the difference between blue and green purple and red and yellow and pink i think i am going to verify that one second but yes i think that is the yep okay yep cool so basically look that up if you need to just be conscious of colorblind folks and uh when you put your slides and your colors together on the slides the last thing about a talk is, you know, what do you want people to remember? You've got this really beautiful story. You've got these key methods. You've gone over key takeaways, critical points. You've led them through a very clear flow. What do you want to leave them with? As, and, you know, often sometimes when like there is sort of this um, need to sort of impress people, then you sort of forget to leave them with what's important. So if you just say, hey, I did all this work. I did all this genomics work. Look, it's so cool. Done. They'll be like, cool, but you know, how do they contribute? How do they know more? How do they help someone collaborate with you? How do they just remember your story? What are the takeaways? What do you want the audience to remember? Keep it short, one to two key points kind of thing. The last part of talks is the Q&A session. So don't forget about that because when I gave my talk, I had about an hour of a talk and about like 30 minutes of a Q&A session, which is a lot. And so, you know, when you don't know an answer um, is the first thing that comes up for me is just admit it, <laughs> admit it and say that I think that's an excellent question. I have not had much time to think about that or I have thought about that and was not able to find um, enough information or, oh, you know what? I need to follow up on that. Can I follow up with you on that? I'll email you when I have the answer. There are many ways to respond to someone, but basically the underlying point is don't act like you know something if you don't, because sometimes that's just more effort for you and it kind of confuses the person um, unless you really think you have a shot at trying to answer that question. Um, and then often, sometimes when people ask questions, they love to show how much they know sometimes. So they'll kind of give you like a, you know, three minute spiel before the question, or maybe they'll ask the question and you don't really know what they're saying. So restate it. Feel free to restate and say, hey, is, is so what I'm hearing is blah. Is that what you're asking? Um, Finally, a lot of people ask simple questions and a lot of people ask questions that you know the answer to. Sometimes I kind of freak out and I think I kind of default subconsciously to, oh, I'm probably not going to know the answer. So just pause and breathe and, and don't assume right off the bat that there's necessarily something really complicated going on. Start with the simple answer. Ask them if they feel their question was, in, was answered. And if not, you can sort of dive deeper. Um, so yeah, these are some of the core points I want to leave folks with. Um, I think these are, there's so many more things as always that I can say, um, but I think this is sort of the main stuff that I wanted to talk about for this session. Um, I hope this was super helpful. I hope this was at least a little bit helpful. Um, I'm loving some of the feedback I'm getting. Part of the reason that I'm doing this episode today is because a, a few couple of months ago, I think it's about two months ago, sometime in November of last year, 
I got an email with this question. Um, I was not in a place to sort of answer it at that point, but I have like, I keep a list of all the key questions I get that I want to create an episode out of. So this one is the one that's come up for this time. Also, coincidentally, I just gave a talk, so it was perfect. I hope you all took something away from this. I love creating these episodes. I love the support I get. I appreciate you all so much. And I hope you have a beautiful weekend. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of This Brown Girl's Guide. To follow us, please find us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts with the same title. You are also welcome to email us with questions and ideas at thisbrowng3, the number three, at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you.